together. Um, I'm going to be down here, um, just to be honest, I'm more comfortable on the floor. We meet in a school cafeteria, and they haven't built us a stage yet, and so, uh, so when I am uh, teaching, I prefer to be down, and I'm not going to come and encroach on your space. I won't, I won't get too close to you. I'll try to keep my distance. I know that's a scary thing, um, <clears throat> but I want to thank you for uh, allowing me to be with you. I'm so thankful for Jeff and Katie. Uh, and seeing what God has done in their, their journey. As Jeff said, we've known each other for several years and had a chance to share life together and, and encourage each other. And I'm just thankful for what God is doing in their journey and God is doing in the life of your church. And I look forward to hearing uh, great updates and staying connected to that. And so I'm here to share with you a little bit about what God's doing in our life and in our ministry in Colorado. Uh, we have been in Colorado for the most part, for 14 of the last 16 years. Um, we moved there initially in 2001, and it, since that time, we've started a campus ministry at Colorado State. We've planted three churches and a Christian camp um, in that time, and, and, and God's just broken my heart um, for the people that we get an opportunity every day to love. And so to kind of begin to walk with you there, we're, the scripture will be up in just a moment, but, but what missionary is a missionary who doesn't show you some pictures of where they are, right? And you would be incredibly disappointed if I didn't give you some pictures of, uh, of Colorado just so that you know how badly you need to go and serve Jesus in Colorado. So I wanted to show a few pictures. One, this is an overview of our city. Um, we are in Fort Collins. Fort Collins is the northernmost city on the Front Range. If you've ever been to Colorado or you've seen maps of Colorado, it's, it's basically a square little more rectangular but um, if you were to draw a line straight down the middle of the state uh, north to south the east is plains I never knew there were plains in Colorado until I moved there I got there and said somebody has tricked us um, there's supposed to be mountains here the eastern half of our state are plains the western half of the state are the mountains which make it on all the postcards you don't see many postcards with wheat fields on it from Colorado we left that to Kansas right so uh, half of the state is mountains, half of the state is plains. Three quarters of our state's population lives on that line where the mountains begin and the plains end. We call it the Front Range. Our state's population is about five and a half million people. Four and a half million of those people live on that strip. And it begins at Fort Collins to the north and goes to the south, Loveland, Longmont, Boulder, Denver, Colorado Springs, Pueblo. And it's the I-25 corridor. So this is a picture of our city. Fort Collins is a city of, we're at 160,000 people now. One of the fastest growing cities in the U.S. Um, small cities in the U.S. Uh, constantly rated in the top five of places to live in the U.S. by Money Magazine, by AARP. Um, and, and so it's a really popular place. Uh, the next picture. Um, little trivia. I'll give you the answer. Fort Collins was one of two cities that Walt Disney designed Main Street Disney um, from. He went into downtown Fort Collins with a friend, saw it, and said, this is what I want Disney World to look like. So he designed Main Street Disney after our downtown. Um, you can go to the next one. Um, this is just uh, my son and his best friend on one of our outings into the high country. Um, I have three beautiful children. My wife, Rainey, is a Colorado native. She's one of the few people who were born, raised, and still lives in the state of Colorado. About one in every seven or eight people is a native. So that means six to seven of those people that you meet 
uh, are from somewhere else. Next one. So our goal as a church uh, is to help people experience community in Jesus. And that's a crawfish boil. Uh, first one that a lot of those people have ever experienced. And they made it. They did pretty good. Um, we have families from Hawaii, Illinois, Iowa, um, Indiana. We have New Englanders. We have Southeast people. Lots of Californians all live in our city. And they live there because they could live anywhere in the country they wanted to. And they chose Fort Collins. Um, go to the next one if you would. So I'm going to ask you a few questions um, just to see if you're awake and kind of keep you with me. Does anyone know what this is? It is a tree. That is, you are correct. Is it a pretty tree? Yes. People say, yes, it's a pretty tree. How many would say, no, that is not a pretty tree? Be honest. Just be honest. That is, that is a sad-looking example of a tree. This is called a krumholz. It's a German word. means uh, twisted. Uh, these are the trees that live up above, at, right at Timberline. They're the last actual trees that you will see before you cross Timberline in the mountains. And I wanted you to see this tree because um, this is really a good picture of a church planter specifically a church planter in our context because um, and I'll explain more of this later but um, this tree no matter how sad it looks it is that way because it lives in a place where no other trees can live because it lives in the harshest conditions the wind blows 24 7 above at high altitude the most bitter cold the most bitter wind and this tree is able to do what other trees can't do. But it doesn't necessarily look beautiful. And the life of church planting is very much like this tree. Um, we are so thankful that God's called us to do what we do. But there are a lot of days we feel like this tree. Like we are living in a place where other trees can't live. And so I'll come back to that idea, but I wanted you to have this picture of the Krumholtz tree in mind as we talk a little bit more about, um, about our environment. So what I'm here to share with you this morning is why this matters for you. Because Colorado is 1,500 miles away. It is a world away culturally in a lot of ways. Very different. Um, people see life differently. And so if I say, Colorado, would you give me some of the first things that pop into your mind? What do you... Aspen, the Rockies? Legal marijuana, you said it. Okay, good job. I just wanted to see how long I know Jeff was going to bring it up if nobody else did. He was, he was ready. But a lot of times when I travel and get an opportunity to share what God's doing in our state, the first question people want to ask well, tell me about the marijuana, because we were first. You know, we, we are trailblazers and pioneers in Colorado, and it's, uh, it's one of the first things that matter um, to most people. It's okay, you've got to tell us about that. And I'll, you know, I'll share a little bit about that as we kind of go into Scripture. Um, but what you need to know is why Colorado matters. 
and why it matters to you specifically because Jeff allowed me to come and share this morning because my heart breaks for the people that I serve every day and I want your heart to break for the people that I serve every day but not just those people but what a difference you can make in Colorado by the way you live in Alabama because you don't know it but the way that you live in Alabama really impacts the way that Colorado interacts with the gospel so if you have uh, your Bible if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 10 and we're gonna begin in verse 11 and then we will back up to verse 5 as we work through the passage but we're gonna begin in verse 11 Romans chapter 10 verse 11 and and I just want you to think about this idea of the economy of mission what I'm talking about this morning is the economy of mission. When you think about economy, people have different ideas. They, they go straight into free market capitalism. They have different ideas. Of, but just the basic idea of economy is that you have someone who has a product. They're the supply. And you have a group that doesn't have the product. And they need the product or they want the product. And they're the demand. And then the product itself is this medium, this, this message or this good or this product or this service. And economics is all built around supply and demand and those who have something and those who don't have something and the interaction between the two parties in that process. And we don't often think about mission in that terms. And I say it specifically mission because it's not just about trips. It's about what God is calling you to be to those who don't have the gospel. And that doesn't mean you have to go to Colorado. It doesn't mean you have to go to India. God is calling you as someone who has the gospel to care about those who don't have the gospel. And so it, in the economy of mission, I want to look specifically, begin at verse 11. Let's just read this. It says, Paul says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Bestows his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Can I just read 13 and 14 again? And I, I think that we could, you know, we could do that and drop the mic and walk off and there wouldn't, probably wouldn't need to be anything else said but there's all this time left we should probably say some more so verse 13 says for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching how are they to preach unless they are sent This is one of the basis verses for 
mission. It's one of the basis verses for why we don't become just an ingathered community of believers and forget about the world around us. It's the motivation for why we talk constantly about who God has called us to be and the people that God has called us to share and the people that God has called us to send. So Paul is setting up this idea of there are people who need to call upon the Lord because they haven't yet called upon the Lord. There are people who need to hear the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and the life that he lived and the way that he came to earth and the gospel that he preached and the death that he died on the cross and the resurrection that he, he rose again and the way that he ascended and the way that he reigns and the way that he is Lord over all. There are people who need that because they haven't yet experienced what it means to know Jesus and to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the basis. You will hear missionaries use this all the time, although my, my feet aren't really beautiful, just so that you know it's not a literal beauty that he's talking about feet feet in general just aren't pretty things but I want to talk a little bit to help you understand the backdrop of what Paul is saying because we would all everyone would profess at least those that I have visited with those that I've talked to in churches those who've been a part of church those who profess and place their faith in Christ they would all by their mouth say that we know that the world needs Jesus they ever, I haven't met anybody that has said, you know what, let's just forget about the world. Let's forget about the Great Commission. Let's forget about the commands of Jesus. Let's not worry about this. Let's stop praying for those in the 1040 window. Let's stop praying for those in other parts of our country. Let's stop praying for a revival in America again. Nobody has told me that. I've, I get to visit churches regularly, and everyone says, man, we really need to see something great happen again in our country something great happened in our world we long to see people know Jesus and so everyone kind of admits that but the question mark is always what's my role in that and when we read this verse we often stop in this verse and we begin to identify who is who because I promise you many of you read this verse and you thought I was the scent you said well they can't believe unless they hear. They can't hear unless someone preaches. They can't preach unless they are sent. And just by reading that, many of you thought, oh, okay, so he's going to talk to us about us sending him to the people of Colorado. That is not what Paul is saying. We're all sent. Because in the economy of mission, the demand is greater than the supply that we have. We're all sent. So we are all both the sender and we are all both the sent. The question is, who are you sent to? So in this economy, Paul is working from something that he said earlier in the text. And, um, and, and he's working from this, this framework that he has set up. So in verse 5, this is what Paul is explaining when he gets to this place where he says... How can they believe unless they have heard? How can they hear unless they've been preached to? How can they preach unless they're sent? And he is answering a question that has been posed earlier in the text. And in verse 5 of Romans 10, he says this. 
For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based upon the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But what righteousness, but the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So that's, just to be honest, if I on a Sunday morning in my church, if I just read verses 5 through 8 I would have to spend a lot of time explaining that because even the first time I read it I said what is he talking about this who will ascend to heaven who will ascend to the abyss what is he talking about what Paul is reflecting back on Deuteronomy chapter 30 and Leviticus chapter 18 and he's answering a question that the Jews had because Leviticus 18 says um, says you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules if a person does them he shall live by them for I am the Lord so so for the person with a Jewish mentality they thought that living for God was all about what they did it was all about keeping the law and if you kept the law if you did the right things in their interpretation you were right before God all you have to do is do the right things so Paul is pushing against the culture why because he understands that there are two different worldviews in mind he is working among the Gentiles and he is working among the Jews he is working among those from a Greek background and he's working among those from a Jewish heritage and and they see the world very differently and the problem was was that there wasn't a lot of connection between the two because the Jews were still holding on to what they understood about their faith simply being what they did not what they believed and so Paul is entering this conversation saying look this is what you know that you live by faith I mean you live by your commandments and if you practice the commandments if you do what God's told you to do if you do that you'll live and God will give you the land that he promised he said, but that's not the interpretation God wants you to understand. What God wants you to understand is you live by your faith that is in Jesus. So he's completing the sentence for the Jews. You don't live by following the commandments. You live by faith. Doesn't mean the commandments aren't, as, aren't important. They're very important. But following the commandments is simply a reflection of the faith that flows out of you. What Paul is saying is what you really believe will impact what you do. What you really believe will impact what you do. What you do can impact what you believe but it doesn't always impact what you believe you can do things over and over again 
But if you don't believe, eventually your actions will reflect your belief. Rarely do you begin doing things and your belief follows. So Paul understands that there are two different worldviews. He is a student of the culture. And he says the gospel matters because there are different people in the world. They see the world differently. And if you think that the Greeks are going to gain their salvation by what they do, that's not what the Old Testament was talking about. It's not what the scripture, it's not what the law was about. The law was about the coming of the Messiah and God protecting his promise to his people that he would send one who would make it all right and who would com complete everything that he had promised. Everything in the scripture was pointing to Jesus. So if we're going to make something a big deal, let's make Jesus a big deal. So I'm a student of culture. Paul, I'm not, I'm not like Paul, okay? But Paul had to be a student of culture because he operated in two worlds. I'm a, I have to be a student of culture because I operate in a couple of different worlds. I grew up in Mississippi. Now, this, to be honest, this is my first time to share in a church in Alabama. So I, I, don't, I don't know everything there is to know about church life and, and ministry in Alabama. But my wife, who lived in both Alabama and Mississippi, says that we're exactly alike. Now, we would both disagree with her, and we would both say that one of the states is better than the other one, but literally, the states are very similar. I mean, you could flip them over, and they mirror each other, you know, geographically, they mirror each other in a lot of ways, and my wife says, uh, she says, oh, they're exactly the same. And I said, no, wait, wait, wait a minute. And she said, I'm telling you, I lived in both. They're very similar. Now, we can discuss that later if you need to, but it... <clears throat> Mississippi and Alabama are very similar. Colorado is very different. A few examples I've, I've just observed as a student the last couple of days um, uh, and, and throughout my life, last 15 years. Mississippi, and I'm going to say probably Alabama, take history very seriously. I mean, heritage and culture and, and we know about history and how long we have been a state and how we had great days at certain times and how we had bad days at other times and history matters Colorado everything's new you know uh, it wasn't a state during the Civil War just kind of so that you know so in Colorado people don't know anything about the Civil War and 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 coming from Mississippi Alabama you know that that history and you're like, how can you not know about that I don't we weren't around oh oh yeah that's that's right um, so, rich history, newness. Uh, Colorado doesn't have a lot of muscle cars. Um, driving up the interstate yesterday. See, in Colorado, uh, if it's not a Subaru or a Jeep and it has over 300 horsepower, it's the police. That's just the, that's just the reality. If, if you're on the interstate in Colorado and a charger pulls up behind you, you're getting pulled over. That's the police. They're the only ones who drive chargers because it's, it's a really fast car with rear-wheel drive, which means it ice skates on, you know, an icy road. And, and I was driving up here, and I kept wanting to pull off the road because all these fast cars were coming. I said, that's got to be a cop. And it pulled by, and it was a grandmother on a Sunday drive. You know what I mean? That, that's just a difference 
in where we live. Um, we have football. Colorado has football. It's not the most important sport to people, but we have football. And, and Fort Collins is CSU, home to Colorado State, which nobody here has probably heard of because of how seriously we take football. So uh, we have football and we have a rival. And every year we play the University of Wyoming. It's our big rivalry game and we play for the bronze boot, which is really similar to I grew up in Mississippi and and every Thanksgiving, Mississippi State plays Ole Miss for the Golden Egg, which is like Alabama. You have a few schools that uh, every Thanksgiving, Alabama and Auburn, they play for um, brag national championships. That's what they play for. Um, that's what that is. That's a little different from our, from our context. Um, we're very different. People in Colorado think very differently. You don't know it, but you're very community-minded. Family is very important for you. Many of you. You grew up and you, many of you stay really close to your family, very connected. Colorado, everyone's from somewhere else. You know what that means? They left their family. Very different. But the reality is, whether Jew or Greek, whether those who grew up in a society that said, you know what, God's word matters, Ten Commandments matter, following God's desire for your life, obedience to the values, to the morals, to the, to the things that God would want you to live out. Some of you grew up in that. Some of you were discipled in that. Some of you embraced that. Colorado, people have run from that. And the reality is that Jew and Greek, those who know the law, those who embrace the law, those who want to live by the law, they need faith in Jesus just like those who've never been experienced in the law, who've never heard the gospel. It's about what you believe. And Paul says, because he was a student of the word and, and a student of his people he understood that what we have if we know Jesus if we have placed our faith in Jesus what we have is what others need and there are people around you in Alabama that need to experience what you have in Jesus and they may not have grown up in it they may not have been exposed to it. They may have even moved here from somewhere else. But what Paul says is their experience, their background, that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is if they believe in their heart and they call upon the name of Jesus, they have an opportunity. They know Jesus. He says, verse 8, what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So we have this medium, the gospel, the good news. It's the product that we have. And there is a supply that, that because we're in this room, many of us, now I'm not, there are some of you that are like, I don't, I'm not sure where I am in that journey. I know every Sunday morning I get to talk to people who 
still don't know where they are in that, in that journey. But there are some who have it and some who don't. Some who've experienced the grace through Jesus, some who haven't experienced that grace. There's this supply and there's this demand. And I can tell you where I live, the demand is greater than the supply. And you'd probably be surprised at how great the demand is around you. As an example for us, <clears throat> Jeff and Katie and I pulled some stats up this morning just to help you kind of frame this discussion. In Alabama, Southern Baptist churches, now I'm going to speak in terms of Southern Baptist because I'm a North American Mission Board uh, missionary personnel, so I, I know Southern Baptist numbers more than I do some other groups, but but the reality is, is Southern Baptists are the largest mission-sending agency in the world. Um, we have more personnel worldwide than any other evangelical denomination in the world. So the reality is, is if we're not there, there's probably not many people there. So just to help you frame this, in Alabama, you have 3,200 Southern Baptist churches for a population of 4.8 million people. Mississippi, my home turf, has 2,900 Southern Baptist churches for a population of 2 million people. You, you beat them there. Just as Mississippi, I'm giving it. You got more churches and you have more people. So you win on that one. Colorado. We have just under... 400 Southern Baptist churches for a population of 5.4 million people. The demand is there and it is great. So in understanding <clears throat> that there is a need the question is, why are we hoarding the supply? Now, obviously, in economic terms, you would say, well, that just means the price goes up. If you have, uh, if you have a demand that is higher than the supply, then the price of the product goes up. <clears throat> As a missionary, I can tell you that is not the same <clears throat> uh, financially price doesn't go up but it should help us understand the importance verse 13 for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved how then will they call on him that in whom they've not believed how do they believe in him of whom they have never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching how do they preach unless they're sent because it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news This is not to validate me as a missionary. This is to validate you as a missionary. The reality of uh, <clears throat> what we deal with, the reason our numbers are so skewed, we have so many people in so few churches, is because people are moving to my state to get away from your churches. If I can just say that bluntly and honestly, um, we, are, we are one of the fastest growing states in the country. People love Colorado. 
They adopt the culture as soon as they get there. Wherever they came from, they leave that behind. Except for Texas. Texas has this really weird thing where they move there and then talk about how great Texas is. But every other state, every other state moves to Colorado and adopts Colorado quickly. And you can have the conversation, if I've had it once, I promise you I've had it thousands of times. What brought you to Colorado? It just fit me. It fit me better. Now going back to what you pointed out, what fit them better? Independence. What fit them better was they had some experience. I meet very few people that are outright atheists. I meet a lot of people who are um, beginning to, they claim to be atheists, but as you learn their story a little more, Turns out they grew up in church. They grew up in church and they had some experience in church. And they said somewhere along the way, I don't ever need that in my life again. And as they continued in life, wherever they were, they continued to run into conflict with the church. And what they like so much about Colorado is nobody bothers them. What they're saying is they can do whatever they want. And, and so, even as our population grows, it grows with people who are escaping Christian heritage. We are a post-Christian culture. I, we don't even try. Now, you may say this is cowardly, but we don't try to win the political battles. That's not our arena to fight in. Our arena is to introduce people to the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll let him do what, they, what he wants with the other areas of their life. We want them to hear. We want them to believe. We want them to call upon the name of the Lord. A few quick examples. Um, we have a, a young mom named Angie. I get to baptize her daughter this, uh, this summer after the water warms up. Um, literally, after the water warms up. Um, she's a single mom, four kids. Works full time as a nurse, night shift, so that she can be home for her kids' basketball games and um, wrestling matches. She goes to college full-time, so she's a full-time student, full-time nurse, mom of four kids, single mom of four. Went through a really terrible divorce situation. Um, She connected with our church about three months ago. Took us three and a half years. We have known her. Our kids go to school together. We just love her. We just said, look, we're not... We're not pushing anything on you. We just want you to know we're here for you. Regardless of whatever happens, we just are here for you. We've served and we've just walked with her in some things. Um, In fact, Jeff had brought a group from Louisiana that helped us do some projects for her. Um, Three and a half years, she started coming to worship. She sat down with my wife and she said, thank you for not pushing me. She said, I love God. 
I didn't think I could ever trust the church. We have another friend, uh, Becky. Becky's in her mid-50s. She grew up in a Southern Baptist church in Texas. She was 21 years old. She was a young mother. She had an abusive husband. And uh, her husband was not good. So she started the divorce proceedings. She went to her church family that she had grown up in, that she was baptized in, and she told her church family, I have a court proceeding and I have a two-year-old son and I need someone to watch him. And the church told her, we refuse to watch your son or to keep him because we don't want you to get a divorce. She was 21. 35 years later, she walked into a church service for the first time. reality is is that what you do the way you live out the gospel in your life affects the ministry I have in Colorado we're not unchurched as a state we're not unchurched as a population because we're just multiplying that fast we're not having that many babies we're unchurched because people are moving from your state, from my home state, from Mississippi and Alabama and Texas and North Carolina and Tennessee, Bible Belt states like Indiana. They're moving there to Colorado to get away from the wounds that they have incurred in the name of Jesus. And we never probably intended to strike wounds but people have moved because of something that they hold on to and Colorado seems like the best place to escape. So what do we do about that? Martin Kaler, who is a theologian, he said, mission is the mother of theology. And sometimes in church we, I mean, I'm, I love theology, studying theology. I care about theology greatly. But what he was saying is, is that when you go back and study the first century church, they didn't have it all figured out. They didn't have clearly listed doctrines. They didn't have all of their creeds formulated. Most of the creeds didn't enter the picture for the church until 300 AD. So there was, it was messy. It was really messy. And when you go back and study the early church and ask them, what do you believe? And they were still trying to pull the letters together from Paul and the letters together from John. It was just a kind of a mess. And what Kaler is saying is that they were on mission before they even knew what theology was. That, they, that theology was born out of mission. That they just started telling people, when you study the early church creeds, they had one confession. And everyone knew it. And their confession was, Jesus is Lord. They didn't understand um, any of the stuff that came out of the Reformation. They didn't get any of those arguments mixed up. They had one confession. If you met someone in the marketplace, if you met someone uh, in their home, if you shared a meal together and they wanted to tell you what was so important to them, they had one confession. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord over death. He's Lord over life. He's Lord over my life. He died on the cross. He rose again. 
And I am simply believing in the goodness of who Jesus is, and that changes my life. They had this supply of something, and they were giving it away everywhere. They weren't trying to run people through a catechism to say, if you're going to believe, we want to make sure you believe the right thing. They were just overwhelmed with the goodness of Jesus. And they said, I've got to tell people. I've got something. They don't have it. I want them to have it, and I want to share it. And I want them to know how good Jesus is. Jesus is Lord. That was their confession. It's that simple. Before we worry about all of the theology, let's worry about Jesus. And let's make sure everyone knows how good he is. Because when we read that scripture in Romans 10, one of the things we often do is say, see, that's, that's a good example of how we can do three-minute evangelism is that all they have to do is believe in their heart and, and profess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. I think evangelism is great, but I would ask you the question, how many of you have heard something in three minutes and wanted to believe it? How many of you have heard something that you've never heard before and you've decided in three minutes that was something you would place your whole identity in? Very few. How many of you are on Facebook? You know, we have Facebook, social media. How many of you on Facebook have seen someone post some life-changing pictures of what this pink liquid or purple goo or, you know, this stuff that changed my life and it was the most amazing thing and you said, you know what, I'm willing to digest that because I see a picture and somebody tells me how great it is. You probably say, I'm going to need to know that person. This is what the gospel is about about you living your life in such a way that people know something is different about you, that people know that you love them, whether they ever agree to listen to what you have to say, whether, whether they ever buy into what you are selling, they know you care about them. And at that moment, they say, tell me what it is that you know. Jesus is Lord. He changed my life. I called on his name. And because of that, I have hope and peace. And I know that I'm loved. And I'm a part of a community that loves me. Now, we can't say that if we don't live like a community that loves each other. We can't say that to the, to the people out there. We can't say that to the people in our city. We can't say that to the people that we want to know Jesus, that you need to come be a part of this because this is a group of people that will love you. Then we better be a group of people that will love them. How can they believe if they haven't heard? How can they hear if no one has shared? How can they share unless they are sent? And every week you come together, you should be sent out to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And if, if you do that well, my, my heart, this is my heart's cry, is that you would do that so well in Alabama, you'd work me out of a job in Colorado. That instead of sending broken people, and it's not your fault, I'm just, I'm an emotional guy, so you gotta bear with me. That you would love so people so well that you would send missionaries to Colorado. People that said, I'll go work in Fort Collins. 
that together we'd see people call on the name of the Lord and be saved. That's my prayer for you. My prayer for you is that you'll so be sent. I'll get bored. I'm not bored yet. Not bored yet. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this church family. Thank you for um, the people that you are equipping in this church. I pray for their mission and their heart. And I pray that they would love people and uh, love people well. That every day that they live, they would proclaim that Jesus is Lord. That they would have conversations with those around them in their workplace and in their school. That they would live in such a way, God, that they would be a fragrant aroma to you. They would love each other so well that people would be dying to be a part of a community that cared for them like this. Pray that they would be encouraged in your word and led by your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray.